Oh, I hope y'all are as excited as I am this morning. Uh, I was just uh, mentioning to Millie this morning, uh, this is Tammy and I's 30th year in ministry. And so we've probably preached about 60 different Easter type messages. But how many of you know that the message of Easter never grows old, amen? I mean, it never grows old. It is what we are about, it's what we're built on. It's what uh, uh, life in the kingdom is all about, this message that Jesus paid it all. And, and the things that he gave uh, to us are, are just the beginning of our life in the kingdom. Amen. I want you all to know that, that Easter and finding that message for yourself is just the beginning of your relationship and, and the time that you have to be with the Lord. So uh, this morning I'm uh, uh, excited because of the miracle of Easter and all those things that happen. And so that's the first miracle that we're going to talk about today. But the second miracle is that I'm going to be done talking about it by 1130 today. Amen. Hallelujah. So, yes, go ahead. Somebody say amen. I know y'all got hams in the oven and you got your baked beans where they need to be and all that stuff. And that's what makes a day like this so special is it draws family together. Uh, I don't know about you, but we have a gaggle of people that'll be out at our house today. 25 people breaking bread together and hanging out and loving Jesus, loving each other. So it's an exciting time. And so I was just thinking the other day, um, uh, I started reading a huge novel. And uh, uh, th this novel had 500 pages to it. I love to read. Uh, uh, I love to, to get into the, the guts and the core of a novel. But how many of y'all that are readers here today, that when you get into a good book, you get out about page 200, and how many want to sneak to the last chapter? Amen? Come on now. You want to sneak into that last chapter, and I was fighting so hard at about page 300 because I thought, what else could you say in this novel that's going to make the ending any different? And, and, I, and I did this, I got to the back and started, and I said, don't do it, don't do it, because if you read the last chapter before you get the, the guts of what's happening inside the novel, you miss the why of why the ending is the way that it was written to be. You might read the ending and, and, and just, uh, 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 it might have been what you thought it was going to be, it might not have been what you thought it was going to be, but you missed what happened in pages 200 to 300 because the author puts in a new twist, amen? And, and in pages 300 and 400, there's a new theory about what happened. And in pages 400 and 500, the picture starts to become a little more clear in the novel. And so you start grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding because you want to get to the end. It's important to grind through the stuff that gets you to the end. Amen. It's important to understand why the end is the way it is. How many of you are like me and you love a great movie? Now, I'm not talking about the Terminator and Transformers. Those are my wife's movies. <laughs> I myself love chick flicks. I love love stories. I like things that work themselves out. And one of the longest movies I think ever recorded is The Sound of Music. Yeah. 
And I've watched that movie, uh, honestly, at least 50 times, if not 50, we've seen it 100 times. And I know what's going to happen. They're, they're, they're going to get to the end, they're going to sneak out, and they're going to say, the Von Trapp family. The Von Trapp family. The Von Trapp family. I know that's going to happen. And then they, they go over the Alps, but if you just went to the end of the movie, you'd have no reason the why. Why did they risk their lives to take an entire family and go over the Alps? And see, when we just want to know the end of the story, we miss what made the why of the story. And today, I want to talk about the why of Easter. And if you would turn with me, if you would, just briefly to Matthew chapter 27, uh, we're going to begin to look at the, the why. And, you know, I want to tell you just right from the start, I'm going to give you the ending because he loves you. That's the why. Ah, dang it. I gave you the end before we talked about the beginning. But the reality is, is all of this that we do today, all those great songs we sang, all that emotion that it brought inside of you to sing about what Jesus has done, it's because God loves you. So don't ever lose, don't, don't, you know, and all these things that I say today that you might not understand or you might get mixed up, don't, don't, don't get mixed up today. The why is because God loves you. And so in Matthew chapter 27, I'm going to start at the perceived ending. Now, in a 500-page novel, what I'm going to talk to you about today is somewhere around 250, page 250. And if you just stopped here, you would miss so much about the ending. We sang in one of the songs today a line about... You know, it looked like death had won, but that wasn't the case. Amen. How many of you know that when Jesus went into the grave, we all know that that wasn't the end, right? But what if you stopped reading there? If you stopped reading there, you'd miss a whole lot about the why Jesus did what he did. Now think about this in Psalm, in verse 50. So I'm going to the end of this particular part of the story. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and he, he yielded up his spirit. You know, these words describe the end of the most painful suffering in human history. There was not just a, a physical beating, but there was an emotional beating that took place. There was not just an emotional beating. How many of, how many of you uh, uh, have uh, heard this before, that words matter, that words can really hurt? How would you like to be Jesus, the Savior of the world, and you get uh, uh, brought before a group of people, and they bring out the worst thug in all of Columbus and you? And the people, they say, you are going to release one of these two people, the worst thug in the world, and Jesus, the Son of Man. And they cry out Barabbas. They want the thug. They don't, they, the people are, are screaming out for the one that probably related most to them in some weird way. But here's Jesus. He lifted up his last breath. He yielded his spirit. 
in the most uh, unbelievable way, the most physical beating, physically and emotionally. What about spiritually? Let's go back to verse 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. In other words, he was not yet to the end of this period in what he had ultimately done for us. And he cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, the, the Son of Man, is on the cross. Now he's calling out to the Father, the one who has led him to this place. And it was obvious that if Jesus was going to culminate his mission, the Father had to turn his head to not look at this any longer because of the torture that his son was going through. But when God took his eyes off of Jesus. Where do you think he turned his eyes to? He turned his eyes to you and to me and to mankind. Because his mission was to bring restoration of relationship. The cost was his son. Why would God do that? Well, let's start at the beginning. Turn with me to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, because see, sometimes if you don't rest on uh, what the original destiny is, you kind of lose the focus for the why of the why things happen. Genesis chapter 1 and 26, after God created all of these things, and, and I want you to understand this, that in, in the book of Ephesians, it basically says this, that everything that God created before he created man was created with you in mind. All this beauty. I don't know if any of you have had the chance just the last couple clear nights to look up at the sky. The stars are magnificent. Those are the things, the, the, the things that God has created to show us who he is and the beauty of, who, of, of what he can do. But then it says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God the Father, God the Son. God the Holy Spirit sitting in this place where they're uh, watching all of creation unfold. Let them have dominion. Here's the purpose. What did he create man for? To have dominion, to have authority, to have a place where they rule on this earth because they are in his likeness. Dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then what did he do? First thing, then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over all of those things, because this is what I've created you to do. The first thing he created us to do was to have dominion. The second thing that the Bible says is that he longed for our fellowship. Everything about our personality characteristics were all in God. He was a total type A, a total sanguine. He loves people. He wants to be with people. And, uh, and so man, in taking what God has created and the assignment that he gave him, man did what man usually does and we don't get it right all of the time. Amen. 
Somebody look at your husband and tell him, I know you try hard, but you don't get it right all the time. Amen. Now, in verse three, we see that there was going to be a challenge for the heart and soul of men. Who was going to challenge God? Well, the one who wanted to be like God, the one who wanted to have God's authority. Amen. That God want to be. Amen. Uh, Satan didn't have the place that God had and he wanted it. And so he figured that he could take man and manipulate him into have a place in his heart. Genesis 3 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. Well, this is the question that is in the minds of people every day. When they're looking at how the world is operating, what the world's all about, the, the question is, is, is there really a God? And is God really who he says he is? And will God ultimately save me? Or do I really need God? Do I have to make a confession? Do I need to give my life to him? These are all the whys that always come out into people's minds. And this is what the serpent was saying. Are you sure that God would really do this? For God knows the day that in uh, that day you will eat it and your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a uh, tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And in verse 8 it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God. How do you hear the sound of the Lord God and know that it's the Lord God? You know, there's certain friends of mine that they can hear a car roar down the street, that a car can punch its engine, and they'll say, oh, that's a Dodge Challenger. Or they'll say, oh, that's a 66 Mustang. Or they say, oh, that's this car or that car. They know because they hear the sound of that car, and they've related to that long enough to know what it is just by hearing it and not seeing it. This is exactly what was happening here. It says uh, that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. So apparently this was not the first time that they had heard this sound. Can I get an amen? amen. That there was something that happened in this garden regularly. That God was with them all the time. That this was what God created them for was to have that personal and intimate relationship with him. And in the garden to cool of the day, Adam and his wife, what, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, Adam, where are you? Now, I think that was a rhetorical question. I think God knew exactly where Adam was. And I know he knows exactly why Adam was in the place that he was in. See, something got broken. That's what sin does. Sin separates. Sin separates us from the one who loves us the most. 
You know, it's interesting how when you don't know God, you could always see God as the ultimate killjoy and then not want to put all of your eggs in his basket. Amen. How many of you before you got saved, you said, you know what? When I get it together, I will. You know, when I stop doing this, then I will. Or, you know, I, I, I know that there'll be a day that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, clean enough that I can come to God. How many of you know that's all a lie? Amen. Amen. That you're never going to be clean enough to come to the one who's perfect. But when your heart's in the right place, he comes to you. See, what did the scripture say there? It said, and God called out to Adam uh, because he's the one that went into the garden that day. And see, this is what got broken. What got broken in this text of scripture is in verse 10. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? And then the man did the brave thing. He blamed his wife. He walked by that tree a thousand times and saw that whatever fruit it was. He thought about grabbing it, but his wife did. So he said, the woman made me do it. The woman who you gave me to be with, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And here began an, a, 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 an unbelievable separation of that intimacy and purpose that God designed man to have. That, that purpose that, you know, with my help, you, you can have dominion. With my love, you can have intimacy. With our relationship, you'll always be fulfilled. There will be nothing in you that has to demand for anything. But see, the enemy came and spoke a lie and got them to retreat back to their flesh. And then the separation began. You know, this is kind of the story of the entire Old Testament. It's story after story after story of man's attempt to get into a place to where he can find that intimacy with God once again. In Exodus chapter 32, the Israelites had just been released from the bondage of slavery in, in Egypt, and it was a, a monumentous time, and people were uh, trying to find their way through the wilderness, and Moses went to be with God one-on-one. -on -one. And God was speaking to Moses. As a matter of fact, he was gone for a long time. And in this process, they were thinking, well, Moses is never going to come back from this conversation with God, so what should we do? So they gathered together all of their gold and they went to Aaron, uh, Moses' lead uh, assistant, his, his lead man, his, for, his foreman uh, of the uh, uh, process through the wilderness. And they said, we need to make a golden calf. We need to make an idol. We need to make something to worship to because obviously Moses isn't coming back. In the heart of man, is always wanting to do or fix something that only God can do or fix. And it's interesting because when Moses came down, 
he knew something wasn't right. The sound wasn't the same. The songs weren't the same. The worship team wasn't playing the same. And he knew something had taken place. And so when he found out what it was, he knew that that was uh, going to be something that was totally disheartening to God and God trying to bring restoration back to the relationship. God was not pleased. And there's a scripture in Exodus 32 that says God or Moses was going to go to God and he was going to try to fix it. In other words, it says he was going to try to make atonement for their sin. He was going to try to fix what was broken. And that's the story of the Old Testament. Somebody always trying to step in, whether it was a king or whether it was a prophet or uh, whether it was uh, a priest, they were always trying to step in to fix what man had broken in their relationship with God. So at some point in this journey, God says, you know what, I want my presence to have an address. I want my, my presence to have a place that people know this is where I am as, as a reminder. I'm not just where, you know, uh, I'm with Moses. I'm not just out there somewhere. I want to have an address. I want to have a place of my presence. So they built a, a, a temple and they built this beautiful structure. And in this structure, there were many different rooms, but one of the rooms was the special room where God's presence was. And only a, a, a certain person could come into this ultimate place of his presence. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 9. And we want to talk just for a moment about what this looks like. I'm going to be reading this from the message version. So if it's easier for you to follow along on the screen, feel free to do that. The place that was the address for Jesus' presence. God was in this place. The Ten Commandments were in this place. There was an ark that was built that uh, specifically contained the presence of God. And the writer in Hebrews in chapter 9 talks about that place this way. That first planned, plan contained directions for worship and a specially designed place of worship. A large outer tent was set up. The lampstand, the table, and the bread of presence were placed in it. This was called the holy place. Then a curtain, remember that, everybody say a curtain. Then a curtain was stretched, uh, was stretched in it. This uh, was called the holy place. Uh, and behind it, 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 in a smaller inside tent was set up. This was called the holy of holies. In it were placed the gold incense altar and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant containing the gold urn of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, the covenant tablets, the Ten Commandments, and the angel wings shadowed the mercy seat. We don't have time to comment on all of these now. Thank you for helping me with that as well. <laughs> After this was set up, the priests went about their duties in the large tent. Only the high priest entered the smaller inside tent and then only once a year, offering a blood sacrifice for his own sins and the peoples who, who accumulated sin. Another person 
trying to rectify man's relationship that had been lost in the, in, in the Garden of Eden. This was the Holy Spirit's way of showing a visible uh, parable that as long as the large tent stands, people cannot just walk in on God. There was always a separation. Under this system, the gifts and the sacrifices uh, can't really get into the heart of the matter, can't assuage the conscience of people, but are limited to the matters, listen to this, limited to the matters and behavior. It is essentially a temporary arrangement until a complete overhaul could be made. This was never meant to be the end of it all. This was, there was always meant uh, to be a restoration of relationship that was lost. And so we move through all of the different uh, things of the Old Testament, and it again is story after story after story of man's failed attempt to climb to a place of restored relationship with God. But there was only one way that this relationship could ultimately be restored. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is what the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He has many, the Apostle Paul has many things to say about the cross. Too many to talk about today. But how is this relationship going to be restored? How can we make what was separated at the garden back to its normal place? Who is going to be able to do that? Well, the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 44, it says this, It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. You are born a natural body. But this body is raised in a spiritual body. How does that happen? How can we come? That's, that's when, when Nicodemus came, the, the, the rabbi came to ask Jesus. He was asking him this exact question. How can we be born again? A rabbi with all the Jewish knowledge came to Jesus and he was asking him. I was born once as a natural man. How can I re-enter my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, your birth is one time natural and one time spiritual. Yeah. And this is where Jesus is going to come in to bring that restoration. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, now listen to this. The first man, Adam, that's what we talked about earlier, the one who ate the apple, he became a living being. He was formed out of the dust of the earth, and the Bible says that God breathed life into Adam. And the breath of God came into Adam, and his existence as man went forward from that point. The, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And then afterward, the spiritual. 
The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man, Jesus, is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those made of dust. Somebody look at you and say, the pastor's talking about you now. Okay, as the first man was made of dust, so are those that are made of dust. And this is the heavenly man. So also are those who are heavenly. Mm. Now we're starting to make the connection. Now we're starting to find this place of restoration. Who could bring us back to the place where we had that original relationship that the first Adam destroyed? Who could do such a thing? I'm going to read 48 again. As was the man of dust, so are also those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so are also those who are heavenly. As we are born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Why did Jesus come? Because he, somebody had to come and bring the ultimate restoration to the relationship that we were always intended to have with God. If you read this scripture carefully, one might think that when God created Adam and Eve that he never planned for them to have a death. He never planned that they would have an end to their relationship because he meant for that relationship to be perfect and eternal at that time. But what came in the middle? Man's flesh and sin. It still is coming in to the middle of it today. Let's go back to Hebrews now and read what this new temple situation is. In verse 11 it says, But when the Messiah arrived, the high priest of the superior things of the new covenant, he bypassed the old tent in its trappings in this created world and went straight into heaven's tent, the true holy place, once and for all, he also bypassed the sacrifices consisting of goats and calf blood, instead using his own blood. Mm. This is the bread, the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ. We honor that because it's the ultimate sacrifice. No longer did anyone have to stand in between you and God. No longer did a priest have to go to a tent because Jesus was coming to bring ultimate restoration to your personal relationship with God the way he always wanted it to be. If that animal blood and the other rituals of purification were effective in cleaning up certain matters of our religion and behavior, think how much more the blood of Christ cleans up our whole lives inside and out. Through the Spirit, Christ offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all those dead-in efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can live all out for God. 
If you are here today and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the blood that he shed for you to make that connection with you was so that you would have an all-out relationship with him. That everything that he wants to bring into your life, every purpose, every destiny and direction, he's just looking for you to say yes, because I paid the ultimate price for you to have this ultimate connection with God. And for those of you who have not yet said yes to Jesus, this is your hour to come to the revelation that what once was separated from man can now be yours today. That's why the Apostle Paul says, when is the time for salvation? And he says, now is the time for salvation. Today, this moment, when you hear the message before the enemy can creep in like he did in Genesis chapter 3, he doesn't want you to give that enemy a chance to creep in between you and your personal relationship with Jesus. I read the end because I wanted you to know why would somebody take their bodies and have them beaten and broken and their bloods poured out and their nails, uh, their hands and feet nailed to the cross. Why would they do such a thing? Because it was the only way that restitution could come for our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, let's go back to that part of the story. Matthew chapter 27 again. Matthew chapter 27. Oh, I'm, I'm really excited for you to hear this part. Matthew chapter 27. I read you the scripture, and when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit. Listen to what I'm going to read next. And remember, I've painted a picture for you about how they tried to develop a place to contain God's presence. And what did I ask you to remember about that place? Can you remember? There, what did they have in that temple? A curtain. See? I, I, yeah, look, I told you I was going to quiz you. A curtain. A curtain that was, if I could go into the dimensions, it was so big that no man could even begin to think of moving this curtain. And this curtain is what separated man from the personal presence of God. Now... Why would Jesus go to all of that depth of being broken? Because verse 51 says, Then behold, the veil or the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth quaked and the rocks were split. You know, I've heard this said in several different ways. Why was that veil torn? Well, because no longer was God behind a curtain. That he was in a place where you could know him personally. But see, I've also heard it said this way, that God tore the veil because he wanted out of that place where he was because he wanted to reunite with his people. He came so that he could walk with you again in the restored relationship in the same way that he walked with the first created man, Adam, in the garden. 
And so this is what makes Easter so special, that somebody had to come to bring restoration to what was broken and only God's son could do something. We see he was the perfect sacrifice. No longer do you need anyone to stand in between you and God and go into anywhere to get remission and redemption from your sins. This is a good thing and this is a problem. See, when somebody else had to go in to pay your price, you could just get it together for a little while, long enough for that person to go pay your debt. The bad news is this. Nobody's doing that anymore for you. Mm. Wait a minute. I thought this was a good thing, this restored relationship where God comes to me. It is a good thing. But what could be perceived as bad news is, is no one can now go in and get restitution for your sin. Only you can go in and do that. Only you. Aren't you glad that you don't have to rely on somebody else to go in and make such an important uh, uh, destiny decision for you? We get to be with God for 365 days a year. Every day, all day. And the all it takes to open up that relationship is for you to say yes to Jesus. For you to say, God, I'm bringing my sin before you, asking you to forgive me of what I have done to separate me from you because we're no longer separated by what you did with your son. So that's why when we read in Matthew 28, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, everybody say behold. Oh, come on, say it like you're watching the Ten Commandments. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. And the guard shook for fear of him and became like a dead man. But the angel answered and said, to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said he would. Come and see the place where the Lord used to lie. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo! Come on now. My wife always loves to pick out the, uh, the, the translation that says, when they came in, his bedclothes were folded up neatly. <laughs> folded up neatly, because I ain't returning here, so I don't want anyone to find a mess. Why? Because Jesus cleaned up the mess. He cleaned up the mess of the separation. He cleaned up the mess that man made in their relationship with God. No more mess. Nothing to keep you from being separated from God. Mm. Don't you love watching restoration stories? 
Could I have the worship team come? Don't you love watching restoration stories? I love watching this old house and they go into a home in Maine that was built in 1756 and they're doing all the restorations that uh, time has just whittled it away. Time has just whittled away this structure to not look like its original form. But with a little bit of work, a little bit of love, a little bit of uh, uh, old fashioned ingenuity, you see that house is restored. Don't you love to, to watch a car show where a car is completely restored to its original form and it looks amazing? Don't you love to see a broken relationship that is restored to the way God intended it to be? Don't you love to see a heroin addict who finds Jesus Christ as their personal savior and they don't have to rely on something like heroin. They can rely on the only one, Jesus Christ, the son of God. That is who he is. He is the God who restores. Mm, and his son paid the price for that. I told you that there was a little bit of bad news because this all depends on you. If you would stand with me. The Apostle Paul said this. In, in Corinthians 1.18 he said, For the message of the cross. Listen to me now. If you're watching us on the internet, I want you to listen to what I'm saying now. I told you about some bad news, and the bad news is really good news. But if you don't know Jesus, it's bad news because you can't hide behind your grandma's prayers anymore. You can't hide behind the tears of your mother that she prayed for you night after night after night when you were walking someplace outside of where Jesus lives. And the Apostle Paul said, this message, the message of the cross, is foolishness. Wow. Who would ever, ever think that what Jesus did would be foolishness? Foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. It is the power of God. Listen, God, he made a promise. And in 2 Peter 3, 9, it said, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. You know, we all been in that place. Yeah, man, I, yeah, definitely, man, I'm going to do that for you. And then when it comes time, it's like, oh, dude, I just ran out of time. I just forgot. Listen, God didn't forget and he didn't run out of time. He controls all of time. And this time, he is looking to touch your heart. But he is long suffering toward us. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a place of repentance. I said this message is twofold. For those of you who are saved, it's time to create a new resolve. It's time to create an idea that what you were created for was to carry out the things that God has given you to do.
And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, this is your hour. And as difficult as it may seem, what Jesus did for us is as simple as it is for you to come and be a part of the restitution that he died for you to have. Jesus, he paid it all. I know that and all to him I owe. Because he washed away all of my sins. And there's not one of us in this place today that's not a sinner. We've all sinned and came short of the glory of God. But wouldn't it be a great day for you today to say, I don't want to be separated from the one who loves me that much. We're going to sing this song again. And then I'm going to ask you, those who know him, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you a charge today that you would get your focus back on the kingdom of God and, and your purpose. And for those who don't know him, I'm going to ask you today, what reason would you have to say no to the one who loved you that much? Because Jesus paid it all and all to him we owe.